0: Hello, I'm Jen Cole, Community Manager for Social Media Examiner and Co-Founder of Depict Media. And welcome to Part 2 of the Season 2 kickoff of Making a Marketer.
1: Hi, I'm Elizabeth Glau, Product Marketing Manager for Sciencio, maker of AI chatbots for events called Eventbots. You can find me on the socials at Elizabeth Glau. Welcome to Making a Marketer.
2: Hello, hello, I'm Megan Powers at Megan Powers, and this is part two of the season two kickoff. having a reunion show here on Making a Marketer. And uh, it was a little bit, as I mentioned on the first part of like herding cats to get as many people as possible on. But I'm super excited about the show we have today and all of the returning guests we have. Um, We're going to kind of revisit and um, see how everyone's doing and do some follow-up. But before we get to that, real quick, our show sponsored today is Powers of Marketing. We provide strategic marketing, communication, consulting, and execution, helping our clients communicate more effectively to increase their brand awareness and sales, of course. And so you can reach out to me at Megan at powers and I'll help you out. Okay, so our guest today, I'm gonna do something a little bit different and not read your bios, but have you all give a quick, you know, couple sentence intro on yourself about, you know, what who you are and what you're about. And our guests today are Marianne Pierce. She was on episode 13. And that um, show was Creating and Amplifying Thought Leadership. Scott Vitale and Rachel Stefan were on our show called Marketing a Startup. And that was episode 7. So we'll start with Marianne. Can you introduce yourself? Welcome.
3: Well, thank you, Megan. And I'm delighted to be on this reunion show for Make a Marketer. It was a tremendous session we had about the Amplifying uh, Thought Leadership and Content Hey, oh, yes. And I'm Marianne Pierce. I'm the founder and CEO of Map Digital. We have built a, an integrated platform called Meta Meetings over the last 20 years. We basically service financial service investment banking clients, and we have an integrated platform like I said, many meetings, that captures all the content that we do a tremendous amount of webcasting. It has a conference website that's issued digital signage and badging all integrated in one platform. So not only do we capture the content, but we also capture all data and then becomes to be analyzed and either to be API'd, a push-pull data within our client's own proprietary databases or we'll do the analytics for them. We've extended it further. We have a new business that we're about to announce. It's a new limited liability corporation that we're going for funding called Smart Venues, where we embed meta-meetings within conference centers along with some other best-of-service platforms that people who we love and we've worked in the industry. And they are Grip, Vivistream, which is a data analytics platform that's really specializes and fantastic in the event industry. Grip it uses AI to match attendees and gives tremendous metadata that matches with metadata that I collect from the content usage. So it becomes really powerful. And then we're also looking at some content marketing platforms, one in particular, Kong Digital, that will help us take that captured content and distribute it uh, via social media for content marketing and to gather influence, uh, influencers and for bigger communities.
2: Right on. Awesome. Okay, Scott. What's up?
4: Hey, hey, how are you guys? Good. So I'm Scott Vitale. I'm founder and CEO of a company called Spigot Labs based out of Denver, Colorado. And what we do is help folks track what they taste at beer, wine, and food festivals. So we put a little piece of tech on their glass or in their wristband and then track what they try as they walk around.
2: So smart. Rachel.
5: Bonjour. Yes. Bonjour. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel Stefan. i I'm a snowballer and chief founder of Event Technology, uh, Snowball Event Influencer marketing platform, and also another hat, president of Sense of Event Marketing.
2: Okay. Well, welcome. I'm, we're so happy to have you all back. We're going to talk to y'all, cutting edge event tech pros. I wanted to ask Rachel and Scott since our show with you, I know a lot's changed for me personally, having worked for an event tech startup that decided to go away, for lack of a better term. I wanted to see from you guys if there's anything that has adjusted in terms of your marketing approach. So many nuggets of wisdom for successful change that you guys have seen. Rachel, you want to go first?
5: I can guess I can go. I can go first. I mean, lots of positive things happened since last time we spoke. The buzz is still going on uh, about influencer marketing, and especially Snowball is getting a lot of mentions in the, a lot of different uh, industry uh, publications and organizations. We're just short, got shortlisted at the Event uh, Technology Awards recently, so we'll know in the fall if we won or not. So, crossing our fingers, pray for us. I, I think uh, I know also for Elizabeth uh, Sensio, also are uh, nominated too. So that's uh, always exciting when you get. Those news that you don't sometimes expect.
2: Actually, Uh, speaking of awards, you got nominated as one of the women to follow by PCMA. Oh, yes. So congratulations on that. Well-deserved.
5: Thank you. That was, that was, you know, unexpected. Like I said, you know, when I see them, as uh, somebody tagged and it's like, let me check what's going on. And I see it, it's like, wow, that just made my day today. Yeah, for <laughs> so sure. So That's always exciting to get. As far as marketing and changing how marketing uh, we do, I mean, we live by what we are preached. So... What works for us is really getting influencers in the industry where we want to tap into and get access to those audience that want to know about Snowball, about helping kind of build their attendance. So it's mainly working with the actual people, influencers in different circles to get us into the circles we want to get into. <laughs> and that's been you know very powerful, especially they have to align with what we do. Some of them already talking about Snowball without even us telling them anything about it. So it's a natural fit and they believe in it. So that's where we find the most value and the best result is that, you know, they have to believe in the product and the service. And then they kind of talk about it without any prompting. So that's been very helpful and focused type of marketing as opposed to just praying and praying.
2: Yeah. Well, that's apropos, right? Since your tool is for influencing
4: exactly
5: exactly (laughs) Exactly. so yeah so it's, uh, it's been going very well
2: scott what about you
4: it's been a busy few months which is I mean that's what you want to hear in the events industry right? Yeah so the first half of 2018 we've had as many events as we had in all of 2017. So huge uptick in in how much work I'm doing and how many events I'm attending. And it's all been really good. The feedback's been great. We actually have our first wine festival coming up towards the end of this month. So previously my my focus my passion has been mostly on the beer side and the beer industry but tracking what people taste doesn't apply to just beer. It works really well for wine or whiskey or food or just about anything else. And so we're making that leap into the wine festival space, like I said, later this month. And also for that event, we're integrating a new cashless payments platform. So people will be able to track the wine that they try and then additionally be able to purchase half and full course at each of the vendors they visit.
2: Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, Where's the, that wine festival?
4: It's here in Boulder, Colorado.
2: Okay, yep. got to get into Napa. Yeah, I, Rock, know.
4: Baby. Of course, I know. Water start with the small investments.
6: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And then scale. I see. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. I totally, I get it. I get it.
6: Very
1: cool, Caleb. So, Marianne, you had in your kind of brief introduction talked about some of the companies that you partner with. So, I'm going to have all three of you kind of cover this, but we'll start with Marianne since you've probably been dealing in this space, you know, longer yeah. than not only anybody on this call, but probably longer than, <laughs> than anybody in on our the industry. planet. <laughs> talk about, talk about, you know, just briefly kind of the history of, you know, technology companies working together. I was saying my take on it is I think event tech companies are finally playing well with each other. But I don't know if you're seeing the same thing and give a brief kind of background on how that wasn't always the case.
3: Yeah, it's a great question. And I don't want to go into a long history, but you know, technology is relatively new. I mean, you think the internet may be 35 years old at the most, you know, and really we've been in the space for about 23, 24 years and we've seen a major arc. And I think that technology companies, and we know that what we created because we had a, in financial service and had a very large client for 23 years. So we literally built our way up. In a purposeful way. Now, we were under the radar for a long while, but that's how we grew up. And so we kept integrating because we were the only technology provider from IT to actually speaker support, webcasting, everything. It just happened to be that way. So we were used to integration and we were used to doing all of that, but we had to be, it also was a compliance issue, just having one curly haired girl to go after if something blew up. You know, it was great. And then we started looking around saying, I don't want to build anymore. Because I know what I do really well—tremendous webcasting content—and then we're getting into machine learning and AI and all that stuff. Anyway, I looked at other people who I admired and just started, you know, casting my net, you know, and and we'll talk, you know, to to, to Liz Latham, the Odoke the Mazo, and where you get to start to talk to people in other industry. I know what I do really well, and I'm really humble about that, and I'm really proud about what we do. But I'm not doing AI, and my client wants the people to purposely meet and network and get that, you know, almost, you know, suggesting, serving up. So, Grip, through lots of introductions, that platform's amazing. I'm proud to bring them to my client because it helps serve their strategic objective. We also got to Vivestream, which I knew Nick for years and he kept changing. His platform was always information When I finally saw it, I said, oh my God, I have a V8. Oh my God, where have you been all my life? So totally embraced because I knew he would play forward much further than my clients were asking. Great. So I think in a way that technology people, we want to solve problems. Most of us do. And we really want to help people who are not technical be successful. So we need to partner and we need to take the big responsibility of integration and not asking the organizer to have a degree from MIT to figure us out. You know, we need to take responsibility in the industry. And we have a lot more fun doing it, actually. We make everything better. And I've had yep. no friction so far. And we've astounded because we start mixing our content and our data together, and we're making new discoveries. So I think it's a generosity thing that's starting that whole thing of generosity, partner or parish, and integration is innovation. These are the buzzwords that we're, we say to ourselves every day. Yeah, I think, I think that's
1: the gist of it. I think we have that generous spirit and know that there's enough business to go around and Correct, yeah, the blue ocean, ocean not red sea. Yeah. 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 So so Scott, tell us about some of the technology companies that you've integrated with or you've partnered with.
4: Marion, hit it right on the head. I think, you know, integrations are hugely valuable both to customers and from a business perspective. You know, when you're building a new business, to have to go out and boil the ocean and attempt to solve for every possible use case is just not very effective, time or money-wise. So yeah, integrations for us have been a big key even with some of the big guys. So one of, the, one of the integrations we built this year was all around Cvent. And so some folks were using Cvent as their ticketing platform and as their attendee tracking. And instead of trying to build our own ticketing platform or create something that was better, we said, sure, go ahead and continue using Cvent. We'll import all of the attendee data and we'll move on from there. And so I think the integration side is really about making people comfortable with your solution as it fits with the rest of their world. So they already have these systems they use they're already comfortable with them? How can you keep that level of comfort and add value? Because ultimately, that's what's going to get you in the door. So yeah, definitely on the the ticketing end, it comes in really important. So we've built integrations with Cvent and Eventbrite, Tito, a few other ticketing platforms. And then you know, even for these beer, wine, and food festivals that you don't think of being big data sources, there's a lot of back-end data that's useful in other places. And so for a lot of beer folks, I get this question all the time, attendees say, well, you know, I love using your system, but I use Untapped to track all my beer. So Untapped is essentially a social media platform for beer. So you check in all the tastings, you check in ratings or reviews of individual beers. And so my answer to that is really simple. It's like, yep, I use Untapped too. And so when you come to one of our events and you track the beer that you try, there's a button right in our app that lets people check in their taste right on Untapped. Because ultimately, Untappd does a better job on the social side of things, but they don't have a great integration for actually handling you know, real-time events. So yeah, I think integrations are really a lifesaver in terms of making things easier for building a product. And they also act as a really great selling point in most cases.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think originally, you know, to Marianne's point, I think originally it was just about making it easy for the customer, right? Giving them options and giving them the best in in breed. And now it's because there's this whole new data piece to it, right? And now it's integrating the data to get you know richer insights, you know, for the clients as well. So yeah, good good stuff. Thanks for sharing, guys.
0: So I I just kind of out of curiosity would love to know personally with you guys what social media platforms are working best for you. And why don't we start with you, Marianne?
3: Oh gosh, it depends on what the conversation is. And I have a good friend of mine named Jay Kelly Hoey who has this book called Build Your Dream Network. And she's a, and some of the speakers we work with also have like half a million people on various social platforms. And we do those analytics. We, we look at that social media, you know, for some of the, the conferences that like InspireFest, we help make their brand in the United States by using content and social media and a little bit of AI because we had no other money to do anything else. And then we built up attendance, influence. I think Twitter is a cocktail conversation and it's great. It has to be pithy and it has to have visual and video and it gets key words across. A longer conversation is a more business conversation and solutioning is LinkedIn. And you shouldn't do more than three or four paragraphs and have as much video embedded as you can in the actual text itself if you can. Because the more content you have, whether it's pictures and and video, the promise of deeper engagement, the more stats you get. It's like direct marketing, you know, in many ways. And those techniques of direct marketing. I don't use Facebook anymore. I think Facebook has really fallen down And we're looking very carefully now at Instagram. Instagram's another beast, but it has a lot of good flexibility that has some interesting potentials, especially in graphics.
0: That's awesome. Thank you, Marianne. Yeah, um, video content is on the rise. I'm glad that you tapped into that because it's huge. What about you, Rachel?
5: I echo what Marianne says. I mean, obviously, each platform has its own plus and uh, and minuses, and it has its own reach and different types of conversation happening in each one of them. Twitter it has some pickup when it's really like in the time, in, in the now, and when it's happening, it, you, you be part of the conversation, you chime into that, and uh, and contribute. But uh, yeah, for deeper content, I mean, people are craving deeper content, you know, less uh, fluff and more value. So the opportunity to, to do more on LinkedIn is there and be able to dissect and repurpose the content in the different formats, too, because a lot of people have different ways of consuming that content. So whether it's it's written, it's video, it's small lumen videos, uh, different types of uh, chunking it and repurposing it and giving it more lo- longer shelf life gives you a lot more also uh, bandwidth to, uh, w- to play with.
0: Absolutely. Content repurposing can be so powerful. And if you do it the right way, it can really be a time saver for you, too. So... Exactly. Excellent point on that. That's fantastic.
5: Yes. And what do you think, Scott?
4: Honestly, for us, we get the most responses from our posts on Facebook still. I think it is sort of moving out of the mainstream, but in a lot of ways, people are starting to use it more for events and more for keeping track of what their friends are up to. And so. I think some of those pieces really drive a lot of interaction on Facebook. And so talking about events that we have coming up and encouraging people to buy tickets and sign up ahead of time, those are all things that seem to work really well on that platform. Personally, I tend to lean more towards the Twitter side of things just because I think in the developer world, which is kind of where I come from, there's definitely more of a presence there. So I think kind of reaching out to, to meet new people, um, Twitter tends to be a great platform for that. But sort of engaging with my existing customer base, I spend a lot more time on Facebook.
0: Um, Yeah, Facebook is great for events. So good for building up the hype. And and, and even Eventbrite integration, selling tickets, it's absolutely perfect. So yeah, there is still a place for Facebook. And uh, I love that you all three talked about how each different platform works in a different way. That's running Thank you guys. It's so cool. So we did it 20 minutes.
2: Exactly. Woo-hoo! Thank you all uh, for being guests today, for coming back and reminding us how awesome, how awesome you are. So for those of you who are listening again, make sure that you check out their episodes. If you haven't listened to season one yet, season one was amazing, which is, was the impetus for this being our first show, our first two shows of, uh, of season two. So thank you all. And hopefully we'll, we'll talk to you again later on this season. All right. So our next group is on deck. And as you probably can tell, we have kind of an event focus uh, theme here. It made sense for us to kind of group them together since they're all in that same world. So thank you so much to our guests um, from group one. Now we have group two rolling in some more awesome guests from season one. We're going to talk experiential events, peer-to-peer learning and facilitation. And we have the perfect guests for that. From episode six, we have Liz Lathan and Nicole Osipodu from... And their show was making a different kind of event. We have Mr. Tom Singer, speaker, Podcaster marketer um, from episode eight. I couldn't come up with any other sort of clever that just seemed to, that ties him up like in a nice little bow. So and then Will Curran and he was on episode ten where we talked about inbound marketing. I'm going to do something a little bit different this time with our with our guests. I'm having you guys give a brief intro of yourself. Brief being the keyword because we have such a short amount of time here together. So we'll go. I'll start with Tom. How are you? And tell our listeners about you.
7: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me back. I was thrilled to get the invitation, but I think you summed it up. I'm a professional master of ceremonies, keynote speaker, facilitator. I got a podcast called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and uh, that's who I am. Father of two highly spirited daughters.
2: Fantastic. And San Diego State Aztec.
7: Go Aztecs.
8: Go
2: Aztecs, indeed. All right. How about you, Nicole? Hi,
8: I'm Nicole Ashibodu. I'm one of the co-founders of Crazy Amazing Unconference called Hot Doki Mazo and I co-founded it with Liz Lathan. I currently live in San Diego for two more weeks, and then I'll be moving to Austin. To be- That's where I live. Yeah.
2: And Liz, you guys could have a party. You guys could have been in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Nicole. And Liz. Hi,
6: I'm Liz Lathan, And I think probably the last time we talked, I had a day job for corporate America and we launched Hot Dokimazo in 2017. And it was such a crazy, ridiculous, insane success that I now have an agency and Nicole is moving to Austin because she is part of it. And we are doing Hot Dokimazo not only for the industry as we have been doing, but also we're being hired in to companies have to have Kimazo, their events and for their clients. And it's so much fun. Yay.
2: That's fantastic. It's such a great event. Yeah. I'm sad to miss the last one, but I um, hope to make it to the next. If you have not heard of this event, you'll have to check out. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually have a sizzle
6: wheel we're putting together of people trying to say it because it's the most fun thing ever.
2: Well, it's funny because I, I thought I said it right, but I feel like Nicole said it differently than then I hot doki But see, the
6: thing is, it doesn't matter how you say it, just that you come to it.
2: Okay. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> that is fair. I like that. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So we're going to start out with a question and we'll go around the horn so everyone can answer. I want to know what you think the biggest opportunity is for event marketing right now. And I'll, I'll start... Actually, I'll start with Liz because I think that your new adventure might have influenced your, your answer. Hey,
6: um, well, lead me a little more. It's the biggest opportunity. That's an awfully big question. Do you that, have a- Okay,
2: that's fair. All right. So, I mean, opportunity for actually more events. At in our, in our show yesterday, we had uh, Brian Fanzo on and he's a speaker and his take is that there's going to be more and more events and that actually it's a it's the Gen Z set that's actually pushing that forward, which sounds sort of counterintuitive with, with social media and everything being so digital. I mean, do you think it's... No, I, mean, I think, think it's favorite? right.
6: I think that it, it is my personal belief that events were the original social media. They are what brought people together. And social media was intended to do that. And it can, if you're using it correctly, but you realize that there is a digital gap. And so when you get people together and you have that experience of handshakes and hugs and fun, you, you understand that... Who is it? is it? Is it MPI or one of the organizations that's events mean business? And it's real. That's how you make the connection. So I think it will explode. I think that the biggest opportunity is for people to truly, truly connect the events not just ROI, but actually for pipeline and revenue so that the budgets keep flowing so that the events keep happening. And then it is our job as event professionals to ensure that the actual organic, genuine connections are the environment is right for those connections to happen. And that's our job. Right.
2: So well said. Yeah. Well, and then follow up and that's a totally different conversation, right? Like actually following through on, on those connections that you've made. Nicole, what do you think?
8: I think to piggyback on what Liz is saying, in, in the world of all of... Everything's digital and apps and so many options. Sometimes, just I feel like when you go home after a day of work or you go to an event and you're like so overwhelmed and mind blown from all the cool technology, what do you want to do? You just want to, you know, you just want to be with people or you just want to talk about your ideas with your friends. So, I think that human element of connection, call that old school. I don't know if it's old school, but I think it's the basis of what inspires us. So, that H to H, right? Human to human is. Now, just so needed, especially when you get to a point in your career as an event marketer. You know, we've all seen amazing case studies and we've seen amazing events, but you want to talk about it with people or, hey, I saw this and I want to share this with you. What do you think about this? And even just human like we start our conference with hugging we call it the welcome attack like was said and you know that element of just human to human interaction and just that basic level of connection that you need with another person i think that's the most powerful form of event marketing that there is because it has to start there so we did a whole conference all human human so that's kind of what i think is the biggest and most exciting thing
2: i love that answer well and if you haven't listened to episode 17 that's basically human marketing. That's the, that's the topic. And we talked with Brian and Courtney Kramer who have, Brian Kramer wrote the book, H to H, So it's all that's like, I, I love that because for sure it starts, we're marketing to humans. We're not marketing to businesses, right? I mean, there's, it's the people that work within them. So I love that answer. Tom, what do you think?
7: Well, I think 10 years ago, if we think back, every conference we went to had all these social media tracks and everybody was so excited. Oh, it was Twitter. It was Facebook. It was LinkedIn. It was all these things. And it was going to change the world. All of a sudden you were going to be able to be connected I ask audiences now, how many people feel like they have have two questions? One is, how many people feel you have more friends? And I define friends as, you have nowhere to go for Thanksgiving. They're inviting no one outside of family, but they'll include you because you don't have plans. How many people feel you have more friends now than a decade ago? And I ask that question to people who are over 35, so they were in the workforce before all the social media hit. Very few people raise their hands. And then I flip it around and say, okay, if you're in sales and marketing, how many people feel it's easier to sell and market your product or service? And almost nobody ever raises their hand. And so I remind people that I love social media. I'm all over it. But a like, a link, a share, and a follow is not a friendship or a business relationship. We have to have that person-to-person feeling. And that's why live events, everybody thought that social media was going to kill the events business. And yet 2018 will be the largest year ever for live events, according to all of the, the meeting planning industry groups, it's going to be the biggest year ever. So we are obviously hungry for that person-to-person connection.
2: For sure. I mean, obviously, the social element, though. W- for me, what's super cool about it is that it can help facilitate. Like, as soon as I meet someone in person, I'm like, Oh my gosh, we've been, you know, talking on social media for a year, and it's the first time I actually get to hug you.
7: Um, or the other way around, you meet first- somebody and then you link to them. It can help fast forward that friendship. Yeah. Oh, but absolutely very, very few people connect online and have like you know like even with online dating i mean you got to meet in person before you're going to get married
1: well yeah ideally
2: for
7: most people
1: <laughs> i don't know like so there's a there's a tv show called married at first sight i'm just saying
9: check uh, it out
7: <laughs> there's well, and, and the other thing is there's always people when i speak there's always people in my audiences who come up and they're an outlier. They're like, you know, I've never had very many friends and now I do. Or my product sells. I'm selling twice as much because of social media. So there's always outliers. There's, you know, you can yeah. always find the the, the one offs. But for most of us, we still need that human to human face to face conversation before someone's a permanent part of our life.
6: Yeah. Well, and especially if you're on the sales side. I mean, I've had so many conversations lately where no event people don't answer their phones if they don't know the phone <laughs> number. <laughs> and right. LinkedIn and mails, you very rarely respond to those. And when you send an email, it's one of those that I definitely want to respond, but I just don't have time to it. So how does a salesperson get in the door? You have to create some sort of genuine connection somewhere and understand their problems. And how do you find that? You can data mine, you can, you can retarget marketing, you can do all sorts of things. But when you meet the person, you're much more willing to take a phone call from
2: For sure. Alright,
6: so I
2: dropped the ball on my friend will Curran. i totally you know what i got thrown off because he and alex are working together now and alex is early and so i kind of in my in my mind i connected them being in the same group alex just likes to
7: be everywhere that's what i've learned about alex he likes to be everywhere he's omnipresent he really is is everywhere
2: (laughs) this is this is one of those um shows for me apparently so will please tell our audience what your story is
10: Yeah. And like one sentence, I own an event production company, endless events nationwide. We also produce a crap ton of content. Uh, That's hopefully awesome content. (laughs) That's a technical
2: term. Hashtag crap ton. Super
10: technical term. Actually, like there's a (laughs) dial where it's like crap little of content and crap ton. We turn it up to crap ton and host podcasts, videos and got a lot of cool things coming up. Currently in Denver, Colorado, producing an event. And then I'll be live next week. So super duper excited uh to always be on the room
6: okay to meet you in person i'm actually going to be there hooray yeah
2: (laughs) well and the show is event icons so listeners please go check that out
1: you should connect with scott vitale who was just on our last segment because he lives there too oh have a little
10: denver have a little denver party (laughs) we also are doing a live broadcast on wednesday so if you're gonna be in town on wednesday that's where we'll be
2: right on yeah, and he just got engaged. Congratulations! Yeah, oh, <laughs> You can't see this, but everyone's clapping and and hurrahing uh, on the <laughs> on the Zoom Brady Bunch picture. This is great. So right now we have three, six, nine, ten, eleven, twelve people on. I love it. All right, that's Ooh. that's a uh, that's picture worthy. So Will, do you want to answer the
10: uh, greatest question? opportunity? Yeah, yeah. for uh, events. You know, I think for the, on the marketing side events, I think we're at this point where. People who create crappy content won't survive anymore. And if you want to really have a huge opportunity, taking the time, the money, the effort, the creativity to create amazing content, I think is the uh, hugest opportunity that we have. I mean, we are no longer in the stage where you can just hire a blogger to write two-word blogs and someone posts generic tweets and don't have images. You have to create engaging, amazing content and I think that's definitely the the biggest opportunity.
2: Yeah. And not just retweet, which I've been guilty of. <laughs> I, I was on a Twitter, I was on a Twitter chat on the Twitter smarter chat yesterday and the guest said, you know, that's just lazy. And I'm like, oh, she's so right. So I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to be better about that because I feel like if I'm retweeting it, it's because I think it's so valuable, but really I should say why I think it's valuable. So that's it. Absolutely. That's a good takeaway. Thanks, Will. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we so some of you covered this you know a little bit so you know not everybody has to jump in on this but I really want to go a little deeper on peer to peer learning and why that is so important. We kind of talked about why face to face is important, right? But why is it important to kind of add that
7: element of you know attendees learning from each other? I think Tom wants to go first. (laughs) So a couple years ago, it was all the rage if you went to MPI or ASA, everything was about interaction, and most speakers didn't know what that meant. And people, really smart people were saying, you know, the brain needs to have some sort of a, an interaction. And people have different every 12 minutes, every seven minutes, every, you know, whatever. And the problem was, is a lot of speakers just were making people turn to their neighbor and like, oh, touch your neighbor's elbow. Nobody wants to touch their neighbor's elbow. That's not interaction. And I did a deal for the National Tour Association at one of their smaller events. And they wanted to do away with the keynote. And have it be peer-to-peer learning and so what we did is we created an hour and a half or two-hour opening session that i spoke for like 15 minutes it was like a little ted talk but then they had pre-selected four industry questions and at tables every table talked about it and then i ran around like oprah and we fed out the answers to everybody and it went over so well they're taking it to their large national conference which is several thousand people and people were so hungry to learn from the other people in the audience. And yet, they also needed to have a speaker and facilitator who could weave it all together. And what I learned is, I grew up as a speaker. It's like, oh, you're the keynote. It's all about your, your, your information. What I've learned is, is, I need to weave the audience in and not just touch your neighbor's elbow or talk to the person next to you, but really getting content fed out from the audience. And that particular group, you know, it was a home run. And I I learned in doing that, that it's a partnership between whoever's speaking and the audience. And I think that's the direction we're headed.
6: Yeah, I can jump in. I would agree with that completely. I think that that there's a time and a place in your professional maturity where you want to hear and listen about things and learn things because you go from this lifelong classroom environment of people teaching you something from the front of the room. And so then you get out into the real world and people are still teaching you something from the front of the room, which is great when you're ready for it. But once you've had a few years of experience under your belt, you're tired of being talked at. And you have something valuable to say too. And that coffee break when you can actually stand around and talk to people and share ideas is fantastic. But the moment you get xylophone shamed back into a dark room to shut up and listen, you start to feel like your input is no longer valued. So peer-to-peer not only allows you to learn from someone who has something to teach, but it allows you to immediately ask those questions. and It allows you to provide the insights that you can also share and be not only amplify your own eminence, but actually just be of help to someone someone else in the room because that's all we're all looking for we have problems that we need to solve we know other people have either solved them before or are trying to solve them right now and we just want to talk about it and so i think that peer-to-peer is better in my opinion it's better than just a presentation of a best practice i think that it takes that presentation of a best practice and just multiplies it by all the
8: other brilliance in the room i would agree too i even think you know as far as it coming you know that whole peer-to-peer and, and what comes of that. Sometimes it's really hard when you're at your computer and you're having phone calls all day and you know, seeing new products or new services. But when you talk to somebody you know, and you say, hey, I'm looking for somebody who does this and somebody's like, oh, I have the perfect person for you. You just kind of, it's almost like all of your other options. Say you had 15 options and you're looking for one thing that kind of just gets dwindled down to maybe the one that you think you like and then definitely the one that the person you know is talking to you about so that word of mouth is super important and you can see like they're you know being genuine and obviously they're passionate about it and if this person who you know I value or I consider a peer of mine and I think is legit or trust or whatever if they like it then I better you know go and check it out and that is it's hard to do over the phone or even in a video conference but just something about that human connection during during the coffee break is, is really powerful. So really quickly, let's go around. Um, and
0: I, I would just like to know, what is the number one thing to consider when hiring a professional facilitator for your event? Let's start with you, Liz. If we're talking facilitator, then
6: I believe their primary role is to create an environment that permits openness and sharing and then get out of the way. I think that not be the one leading things, they should be setting them up and then removing themselves
8: from the conversation. So people. That's awesome. What about you, Nicole? I think definitely to be able to provide also like information where it feels safe. You know, you can create an environment where it's okay to share and you keep that energy up because sometimes when you get out of the way, what if, and we've never had this happen, but you know, I think that facilitator would definitely have to keep the energy up so people feel good about wanting to share. Or Oh, wow, look at, you know, like, What you're talking about, well, I also think about, you know, this, or this is what I know, or what do you know about this? So to kind of keep the conversation and, you know, and it all is based on the energy people will want to share when they feel really connected with, empowered, excited, or just intrigued. I also find that, you know, at a certain place in your career, we've seen that some people kind of feel like, ugh, you know, like, yeah, okay, I've been there, done that, seen that. So to give an energy where it lets other people create a spark is a huge, huge, important thing for a facilitator. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect point. What do you think, Tom?
7: You know, from my standpoint, because I am a speaker and a master of ceremonies and, and that falls into being a facilitator oftentimes, I think they're two very different roles and, and not everyone can do both. And like when you're the keynote speaker, you have to have, and I don't mean this like it from an ego standpoint, but there's a little, you can't really be a speaker without a little bit of ego. You're the star of the show. You're the one who's leading that as the performance. When you're the facilitator- When you're the facilitator, it's about the audience. And yet, I think that Nicole hit it right on. It's about energy. Not everybody can facilitate. People think, well, I'm not a speaker, but I can facilitate. Oh, no, not necessarily, because you have to have that energy level, and you have to be able to give them the stardom. However, you have to be able to take control, because sometimes you get that person who wants to hear themselves talk, and you can't shut them down. Because if you put down an audience member, the audience will turn on you as the facilitator. So if you have to take back, you've got to be a person who can command the room while at the same time giving up control of the room. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that is a pretty solid differentiation there. And then finally, what do you think? Well,
10: I'm gonna choose like a left field kind of very specific thing, but I think more facilitators need to work know how to work in the round, so we can do more center stages. Because I think far too often we everyone just does the traditional theater and then everyone facing one direction. But doing it in the round is so much more fun, and I think more people need to you know how to do it. I love
2: Like it. a true AV guy. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> well, and I've heard of speakers turning down gigs because it was in the round because they weren't comfortable with their back being to the uh, audience. So.
7: I have a lot of peers who won't do it. I have a lot of peers who won't do it if the room is set up with beanbags or things. They don't want that. They want a very traditional thing. I like to play. I like it when it's different.
2: Yeah, for sure. All yeah. right. Well, that went too, super fast, right? Like it's, you know, we're far and away. And so that's the end of our second group. Y'all are welcome to hang out. We can try to break Zoom if you want to stay on camera, but I know everyone has busy days. So I appreciate your time. Thank you, Tom, Will, Liz, and Nicole for joining us. And now our third group. Da, 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 more, we're talking more uh, event stuff, but this time I want to talk a little bit about using marketing for your crisis communication. So a lot's happened in the last year since we've spoken with these guests. And so I kind of want to dig in a little bit. But first, I'll introduce them. We have from Episode 5, it was Marketers on Event Marketing. And that's Alex Plaxin and Nick Borelli are here. And then Dana Lynn Menegas from Episode 9, exhibiting as part of your marketing strategy. And I'm going to have you guys give a little blurb, introduce yourselves rather than me doing it. Welcome, welcome.
11: Alex, you want to start? Sure. My name is Alex Plaxson. I founded a company called Little Bird Told Media. We do social media strategy for conferences, trade shows, events. And one of the things that we also do is educate the industry. And uh, one of our main focuses over the last year has been developing content and education for crisis
12: communications or events. So yeah. we'll get into definitely- that.
2: We'll talk about your about your program before we're done for sure. All right, Nick, welcome. How's it going?
12: Hi, good. I'm uh, in between trips. So this is a, a perfect opportunity. Yeah, I'm a consultant and a speaker. It's definitely not we. It's it's m- myself. I have negative passion on managing people. Zero interest <laughs> in it. I'm awful at it. And things that's that I'm awesome. awful at, I don't do. So, <laughs> uh, negative
2: passion. I've never heard that. That's fantastic.
12: If I'm in a room with somebody who doesn't have passion, I just walk out of the room. And that's why I'm not really a great manager. <laughs> I have no ability to coach them. But I can empower people who are already passionate to figure out how to do the things they need to do. And that's it. I focus exclusively on live events and uh, it's the only thing I've ever done.
9: Right on. Dana Lynn. Welcome. Thank you, Megan. I am Dana Lynn Menegus, and I am the Managing Editor of Corporate Event News, which is an online publication for corporate event professionals. I spent 20-ish years of my career planning corporate events and marketing them, so I get to write from my experience. And I am hopeful that this time, none of my cats will make a presentation.
12: <laughs> <laughs> Mine's still sleeping too. It's always, never know.
2: Hey, cats and kids, dogs, it happen, It all happens on this show. No worries. <laughs> well, awesome. Okay. So my question, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick off for all you guys. So we'll go around the horn again. Do you think our industry is doing enough to prepare attendees in advance of an event what to do if something goes wrong. And I'm going to start with Dana Lynn. I'm going to let Alex go
9: last. Alex is the one who's going around speaking about this on a regular basis. That makes sense. (laughs) Uh, I would say no. Of course, it's going to vary from conference to conference and even industry segment. But overall, I think that a lot of event planners and managers and organizers don't understand everything that needs to be done. And so therefore, they can't let other people know, let their attendees know in advance.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think there might be some sort of like an element of, well, if we if we bring it up, then people are going to be nervous about it. Like if we say that there's a potential of this happening that, that, you know, even despite what happened in Vegas last year, I still think that. Like I was at Bottle Rock and in the middle of this field and I thought, where would I go? And I looked in the book and there was no information for Exit plans, or who, where to go if something, you know, nothing. And I, so I, you know, I made my own personal plan, but it, it really drove home for me the fact that event organizers are not are not doing enough. They
9: don't know it themselves, then they can't share it. But I, I think that a lot of it is also how much information should you communicate, and where should that information live? You don't want to send somebody a, a book that says here is absolutely everything to do, but right. you should at least put all that information together and maybe have it on a website that's only available for the potential customers or have it somewhere where they can access it. Yeah, for sure. What do you think,
12: Nick? Uh, I've been spending the last, let's say, year listening. I'm not really talking about this that much. I am talking about the fact that it's important and I'm talking about the fact that you have to understand basic parameters of things like sit reps and you have to understand that you're not going to be able to have the answers to every problem, but you need to have a solution to when problems come, what's the hierarchy, real, you know, um, loose, loose ideas. But I've been spending this year listening. I feel like it's vitally important. And even though my role as a marketing strategist, first and foremost, more so than a communications person, is to help increase reach and trust. I do believe that, that reach and trust are still part of this and I think that, you know, it plays into it. But as I've been listening this year, I've seen just terrible excuses on digital marketing. Even, I'll give you an example, during, as you brought up the, the Vegas shooting, uh, Alex and I were kind of like hanging out online and seeing what people were saying and like, the next couple of days afterwards, which I think was is an impetus for a lot of like, he he moved on this and really, literally took and made this powerful. There was a, a wedding planner conference that I was watching that was taking place at Mandalay At the same time, and they didn't. They went three days without mentioning it, and not the hour. Not here's what you should do. Three days. Meanwhile, that same night, this is about six days before IMAX America came out. They put together, maybe not night in the UK, but they put together. This is you know, it's business as usual. There are plans. We're we're keeping our thumb on the pulse. Anything changes, we'll you know. And they were on it in order to make you feel like you as an attendee. I knew that they were not shying away from this, that they were active and they had a crisis team that was paying attention. It's That was the span of, let's call it six hours. I was like, this is there and quiet. And this is a week from now and active. So it really depends on who, just like anything else, what you're planning is for A, B, C. And now we have to probably into D uh, through Z now.
2: Right. So Mr. Alex, who has created a class right for MPI tell us tell us what you think
11: yeah so I'll, I'll mention the class uh, later on but okay. basically there is a disconnect and I'm glad that we're talking about this on this podcast because based on my experience and the research that I've done there is a extreme disconnect between the event organizers and the people who are actually there on site on social media who tend to be the marketers And no one knows whose job it is to communicate when something goes wrong. The majority of events, the people in charge of their social media are their marketing team. That marketing team is not trained and they do not know that it is part of their job, that crisis communications is part of their job. They're not talking to each other. They're not creating plans They're not being trained on how to communicate. They don't know who the spokesperson is supposed to be in the event of whatever crisis it is. Not all crises are created equal. Not every crisis is going to be life-threatening. Not every crisis requires the same spokesperson. There are going to be different spokespeople depending on what happens and what you're responding to. Also, not every crisis requires a response. This is all stuff that we need to be trained on and we need to be talking about as an industry. It's one of the reasons why I have partnered with MPI to develop a certificate program for them. It's a six-hour course. And it is not a mistake that the first time that we are presenting this is at IMAX America in October, pretty much the one-year anniversary of the Vegas shooting. So we're going to be doing that on Smart Monday at IMAX America. And that's the first time we're going to be offering this new course. But we need to be talking about it and no one is talking about it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I just it kind of rang to me when you said not everything needs to be talked about, but sometimes things happen in other places and then and you need to talk about them. I don't know if, um, if you guys were at WAC when the when the shooting happened in Orlando and it was real quiet that morning and people were talking about it on social. Like, is anybody going to mention this? You know, is anybody going to talk about it kind of thing? So I, I think not everything needs to be talked about, but you definitely need to think of the sensitivity of the people that are in your audience and especially as people who put on events and work in venues news and I mean this is a this is a huge thing so thanks for putting that class together Alex I'm looking forward to seeing
1: great things come from that I think Jen had a kind of kind of a follow-up question I don't know if the question got answered or not but I'll give her the chance to Ask
0: it. Sure. Um, we can go ahead and put this out here because I'd like to hear what the rest of you think about this. So many times when people are in crisis mode, that's exactly what they do. They go to social media channels um, looking for answers. So how do you portray a brand? How important it is to you know already have the best messaging in place uh, for when and if that uh, they actually do need to address a crisis head to head? So uh, Alex, why don't we kind of start with you and then we'll go around again.
11: Yeah. So part of the training that I'm working on is how to develop holding statements. A holding statement is um, something that is fairly generic. It can apply to many different situations. I think one of the things that we run into a lot of times is what is the messaging and is this approved already? There's a lot of red tape. There's legal teams we have to you know, come across. We all want to cover our own butts, so to speak, legally and not put anything out there that could get us in trouble or our organization or our brand in trouble but you're right people go to social media first that's where they expect to get information so by developing holding statements that can at least hold people off for you know 5 minutes while we figure out what message we want to actually get out there You know, having something that's there is important because there have been studies that when someone goes to who they view as the authority figure on where they're supposed to get the information from and there's nothing there, they don't stop looking for information. They start going to other sources and then get misinformation. So it's very important that you're the first to be responding and also that you're active on social media prior to the crisis so people know that it's not a dead account and that that's where they should be looking for inflation.
0: Absolutely. Oh, brilliant <laughs> point, Dana Lynn, what do you think?
9: Yeah, well I agree and I definitely think that the misinformation and the proliferation of misinformation is dangerous. Uh, that can turn into a witch hunt if somebody is sees something that says somebody might be a suspect in something and they just assume they're guilty and that can lead to all sorts of unpleasantness. But I think it's very important for brands to be prepared in advance and to communicate out what those channels are going to be so everyone knows where to look. And even if you're not planning to, say, make Facebook an official communication channel, put on Facebook. If you are looking for information, go to Twitter, go to wherever that channel is. So no matter where people are looking, they will be directed to the right place.
0: Absolutely. Excellent. Thank you. And then Nick, what do you think?
12: I think what is required is a methodology and a crisis crisis team. The crisis team will don't necessarily have to be the top level people within your event organization. They have to be the ones that are the coolest heads who have access to the different channels that you would be going through. There may be somebody in mid-level who was in the military at some point. I mean, there's different people with different skill sets that are that are more applicable to a crisis than in the event mode. So, I would say have a crisis team, have, understand what the rules are when crisis mode has been enacted, and then create a methodology, uh, not a, here's what we do when Ebola happens, and here's what we do when this virus happens, and this, it's too much, it's just, there's just anything could happen. So methodologies, like, again, military uses, situation reports, they ask, uh, what do you know, what don't you know, what do you need, what do you need to talk about, and what are we planning on doing next? Those types of flexible methodologies allow you to at least organize your thoughts in a way that makes it about action and not simply speculation. And it also shows right out in the front where the deficit of information is in order for you to put that out there as well. So I really just think it comes down to planning for the infrastructure, not planning for the thing.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys so much for that insight. Those are all excellent points. That's great.
1: All right, so we have one more question for you. And just, you know, maybe a little bit of a shift, because you all have your finger on the pulse of, you know, marketers doing events. So besides crisis communication, what are the things that are keeping event marketers up at night? And we'll actually let everybody that's still on the call answer this. So whoever, who wants to go first? Nick's, Nick's already unmuted, so I'll let him go first.
2: If, if you want, you don't have to. But No,
12: yeah, yeah no worries. Uh, I mean, what keeps marketers up at night? Probably more channels, more noise. Lower budgets. And fortunately, with as many new opportunities there are to spread a message, it's not like the budgets are increasing accordingly. Like, I'm working on a conference right now that wants to increase by 15%, and it also has about a 25% reduction in marketing. And I'm like, Well, so uh, I think really it comes down to ignoring the technological trends and really focusing on whatever the core of your event is and how it serves a community in order to then just put all your chips down where where you can, as opposed to feel like you have to be so multi-channel and so everything for everyone. You don't have to be on Snapchat, you know, (laughs) stuff like that.
6: Woohoo! Amen
1: to that. Alex disagrees, but Megan and I are happy about that.
12: <laughs> I mean, you could, but, you, uh, but if you don't have the budget and the time and the bandwidth to be everywhere, then you have to start cutting some of these things and focus yeah. really where what gives you the highest RY. And that means a greater attention to your attendees and listening to them and listening to where they're at and where they're not and being present, but really focusing on your goal and your mission more so than trying to be all things to all people and increase the volume of the noise it's just you're not going to break through
11: cool who wants to go next i will i do agree that you don't have to be on snapchat however however your attendees are so you need to cater to them at least with some snapchat geo filters or something else plus that's a sponsorship opportunity for
12: money that's Um, a five bucks spend i guess why why not
11: why not no i think i think what you know, is keeping marketers up at night is. I agree with Nick. All these platforms. I think a big challenge is figuring out where your attendees live and focusing your resources there. Everyone I talk to, every organization I talk to, it's all about resources and how few resources they have. They don't have the budget. They don't have the people, the bandwidth. So figuring out where they should be they all understand that they need to be devoting resources to marketing and social media and email and everything else. They they just don't know how to figure out where they should be doing that. And then they also don't know how to value it. So one of the things that one of my sessions I talk about is sponsorship and, and how do you put a value on your social media, which can help you get those resources or that budget that you don't have And the biggest takeaway is always how do you value these posts, right? So that you can sell them. No one knows how to value it. And it's such an easy thing, but no one's taught it. No one's teaching it. So I think that that's important.
1: What do you think, Will? Do you have an answer to the question? What's keeping event marketers up at night?
10: Yeah, I think one thing that's always concerning them is like, is this platform gonna die at any minute too? Like, um, obviously, like I'm a big fan of owned land versus rented land. So like, always driving traffic back to your website versus like investing in building a gigantic following on Facebook. And then they change their algorithm, which has happened. You know, 2000 was a nine or so that happened, right? So, I think the thing that everyone's always worried about is like, is this a platform that I have to worry about, and is it gonna be gone in the next, you know, year? <laughs> so. I think that's one big thing. And kinda of like you guys the same pro when it comes to Snapchat and everything like, is this gonna is this just a fad? You know, like am I gonna invest all this time and effort and learn this then then boom, yeah, it's all gone.
2: Right. I agree with that for sure. Okay. It's hard to believe, but our time is coming to an end. So I want to thank you guys for being on. I really appreciate you taking the time and joining us on our part two of our reunion show, episode 19, this one was. So we know that you guys are busy and appreciate you coming back. And for those of you listening to this, please check out all of their episodes. These folks were on episodes 5, 9, and then Will was on 10. So please go ahead and check those out. Thank you, all of you, my guests. And of course, my co-hosts, as always, Jen and Elizabeth. You rock. You all too. right. Thanks. So I'm going to wrap it up. Episode 19 of Making a Marketer. And we will catch you next time.